Alright. Guess what, y'all? We made it back for a second episode. <laughs> they didn't cancel us. They didn't hunt us down. We are here. Again. The Men Creating, Creating Change Podcast. Indeed. Indeed. I oh. am your host with the most, Aaron. And with me today, I have... Chris. And we are back to have another conversation with you all. So this time around, we're starting off with uh, some of the latest news. Yeah, so so we're going to see if we can do this uh, on the regular, where we start with some current, we'll start with some current events, um, get some news out there, and see, see where we are right now. This is, uh, you know, just to kind of get a pulse of what's going on in the world. Yeah, so this time around, we're going to start with... Uh, the local news, and then we're going to go into the uh, broader news. So locally, um, some of you might not have known, but San Jose State has had two incidents where campus police had to lock down an area of campus to investigate either shots fired or the, repet- the threat of gun violence on campus. In fact, either Monday or last Thursday, last Wednesday, that the vice president of student diversity sent an email stating that one of our freshmen was arrested for having a loaded weapon on campus and then making a threat in the Sunnyvale area that he would commit some sort of act of violence on campus. And then Thursday, we had a report of shots fired in our library. And they had the library area locked down for several hours. So people were actually locked down in the library. A lot of us stayed shelter in place wherever we were on campus. So things are, I won't say they're out of hand, but they are in dire need of change. So uh, I will say on the upside, no one hurt. So neither of these two incidences led to any anybody hurt, anybody anything. So that's a good part. That is a good part. But but they're real. They happened. And for some people, this is actually getting really close to home. Because I know that there was a sense of safety that people felt knowing that they were far away from these acts of violence. They felt safe in knowing that all they did was hear about them. But now that they are getting closer and closer, you kind of tell that some people are starting to panic. Mm -hmm. It might not be extremely outward facing, but you can tell that the atmosphere and the environment is starting to shift just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in that regard... I would urge any and everybody to start having conversations because these events are real. Mm -hmm. And the stress that can be induced from these events is real. Mm -hmm. And you need to have a safe place to vent. Mm -hmm. But you also need to know or at least have some sort of plan in place. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying you need to plan like a doomsday prepper. Well, I am saying that you need to get acquainted with the reality 
and we were all starting to face. Yeah, <clears throat> I would say that for me, the stuff brought up a couple stuff, a couple of things. One is the prevalence of gun violence in our country. Um, I'm 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 very much an anti-gun person. Um, and you know what? If you like guns, cool, whatever. My position is that there's no reason why we need guns. Like guns don't don't belong here. Um, and frankly, one of the reasons why I feel this way is because gun violence, um, it, it escalates too quickly and the consequences are too real, right? I think, um, if, if you shoot someone, that's probably it. Like someone gets shot. That person is probably seriously injured, if not dead. That person is seriously traumatized, if not gone, right? Um, the recovery from gunshot wounds is so much harder, so much less likely than any other physical violence, right? You punch someone in the face, they'll get over it. You stab someone, unless you hit a major artery or something, they'll probably live. But you shoot someone, and they're probably not going to live. Um, and, you know, the idea that the, the act of shooting someone would end their lives is just ridiculous. Like, like, we don't need that kind of finality in this world, you know? Um, so, so one is gun violence. The other is, um, just how scary the world is right now. Um, I think we're in a time more than any time in the recent past where people have felt more, like people have, are, we're at a point now where people feel the most disillusioned, the most fearful, the most paranoid, the most irritable than recent history. I think, um everybody's dials are turned up to 11, you know, and everybody's, you know, nerves are are frayed. Everybody's, you know, drawn the short straw, I think. I think, uh, you know, it's a a strange time to be alive where people, uh, very understandably too, some folks very understandably, like I'm not trying to say that people don't have valid reasons for feeling that way. Um... It just seems to be our day-to-day reality. Because people feel like they have nowhere to turn, no one to talk to, nowhere to go. Um, they feel like conflict has to escalate. Um, people don't feel like they can walk away from things anymore. Um, it gets It's harder and harder to interact with folks. It's harder and harder to discuss things without escalation. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird time. There's a there's a certain level of irony that goes into that statement though. Both of those actually. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna uh, I'm gonna address them backwards. So mm-hmm. we have to keep in mind that there was a period of time where there was an entire generation of people who lived day to day wondering if the Soviet Union, if you don't know what the USSR <laughs> is or was, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do the history lesson right now. You might have to Google it. But there's a period of time where a generation of people 
learn to shelter under their desk or were nuclear threats because we had no idea if the Soviet Union was going to fire nuclear missiles at us. Mm-hmm. Your parents and your grandparents tend to forget that that was a period of time. Mm-hmm. And now you and I and kids a little bit younger are going through active shooter drills. Mm-hmm. You're learning to, you know, how am I supposed to barricade the door? Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to keep these kids safe? How am I supposed to make sure that everybody stays low to the floor? Mm-hmm. So on, so forth. And to say that these, these patterns of violence are, are not simply patterns is to ignore fundamentally what violence and things like this actually do. We are essentially having a precursor conversation to understanding how power structures function in a day-to-day reality. People always think this gun law conversation is not, you know, it's about restricting access to guns, restricting, you know, who gets them, what kind of guns they get. But fundamentally, we're talking about a source of power. Mm-hmm. It's not that, you know, the NRA is pumping billions of dollars into making sure that massive amounts of violence occurs on a daily basis. It's that guns have come to represent in human history, a significant amount of power. Mm-hmm. With a gun, you have the power to change life mm-hmm. and history as we know it in moments. Mm-hmm. And to restrict that, to take that away, is you're fundamentally challenging people saying, do you need that much power? Mm-hmm. Do you need to have the ability to change things instantaneously? Mm-hmm. Do you need to have the power and the the repercussions that comes with altering a living state with violence? Mm-hmm. Introducing trauma into an environment and then seeing how people respond to it. Mm-hmm. There's oftentimes, at least looking back at um, issues where, you know, oppression is being challenged by the oppressed. The oppressor, the oppressors often use gun violence or mm-hmm. some form of power to induce a trauma to make sure that the oppressed stayed oppressed. Mm-hmm. So now we're having a conversation where we're going, hey, these objects of power need to go. Mm-hmm. And we need to have a conversation about how you all have come to rely on these objects of power because you do not believe the power you have as a human it's fundamentally enough to interact with other humans. Mm-hmm. It's it's honestly similar to the impeachment thing going on currently. Mm-hmm. Like so, that's news item number two. Oh man, I can't even. I, I can't really. Can't, I really can't talk about this no. without wanting to laugh because yeah, we had a molar probe right that ended with. And everybody quotes this shit all the time. This was not an indicator that there was no collusion. Right. And for those of you who are unaware, colluding with an outside source during a presidential election, i.e. meddling in American political state of affairs, Mm -hmm. is a crime. Right. Right. In the same context, 
that him saying to the Ukrainian government, hey, my competitor Joe Biden and his son got in trouble. Mm-hmm. We want you to dig up whatever information you could mm-hmm. about the case they had, you know, made silent and tell me about it so I can use it on the campaign trails. Mm-hmm. And so now we're looking at it and we're like, is this really a story about impeachment? Are we really just saying that this man has properly alluded to a lot of people that when power is up for grabs, people will do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Maintain it, right. Well, what blows my mind about that is, and obviously this isn't a news podcast. If you want to get a more detailed timeline, closer analysis, there are plenty of great podcasts out there or news stories or local news or whatever. What blows my mind about this is that I, I, I 100% believe that the implication is that Trump held foreign military aid as a, a, a power chip, right? And said, I keep unless you do, right? And what I've been hearing in the rhetoric is, oh, no, there's no quid pro quo. It wasn't explicitly offered that way. Even if foreign military aid was not on the table, even if we did not give money to Ukraine or were going to give money to Ukraine, even if Ukraine didn't need our money, just having a foreign leader take a phone call from the president of the United States that contained the suggestion that the foreign leader needed to investigate a political opponent, right? No money's on the table, no quid pro quo, none of that. Just a suggestion that the Ukrainian government should investigate a U.S. political opponent for the president. I mean, that's egregious. Is that not egregious? That is ridiculous. That should be impeachable. Yes, it is, in fact, an abuse of power. Right. And, and then on top of it, the 400 whatever billion, right? Or however much it was. I don't know. I'm just pulling that number out of my head. But however much the foreign aid money was, right? On top damn, of that. More than my damn college tuition, that's for sure. <laughs> Shit. Oh, um, in case you, you, you folks are not aware, um, I speak both academic and cuss word fluently. <laughs> so I will be interchanging them. So if you have like a small child around, I apologize in advance. Well, this podcast is tagged explicitly. So okay, cool. We 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 are in the clear then. <laughs> yes, that. We are. <laughs> so that would be actually. I did want to talk about the Emmys briefly. Yeah. Um, you said that you had a list of yeah yeah the winners. I, I copy and pasted the list. So if you if you want to know, um, the Emmys just happened recently. But if you need to ask about who won, I have the complete, including the Creative Arts Emmy that's given the night before. Not oh. on TV. Oh, who won the Creative Arts Emmy? Um, well, the Creative Arts Emmys are the stuff that like they feel like nobody will tune in to watch. So it's <laughs> it's uh, it's more along the stuff of like um, uh, reality host, unstructured reality program, structured reality program, um, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So it's the mind numbing TV awards. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, I love the winners of all those. Uh, <laughs> unstructured reality, uh, or not, unstru- oh yeah, Unstructured Reality winner was United Shades of America with W. Campbell Bell. 
Okay. Reality host winner was RuPaul for RuPaul's Drag Race. Hey. Structure reality program was Queer Eye on Netflix. Okay, okay. So all quality programming, just not, I guess, ratings worthy. I guess. I mean, that actually leads into a different conversation for a different day. Mm-hmm. So tune in for that one about representation, queerness, and the media. That'd be held and how men play a role in that. Yes. Well, I mean, speaking of, so winner of Best Actor of a Drama Series Emmy is Billy Porter for Pose. Billy Porter. Right. Billy Porter. That man. That man can act his ass off. Mm -hmm. Pray tell. Be reading these people for filth. And I'm living for every moment. Looks good, too. Looks Mm -hmm. good every single time. You see this guy appear at a red carpet, at an award show. I mean, the dude knows how to dress up. He can dress his ass off. He's yes. Billy Porter. Billy Porter. There, there's not much Billy Porter can't do. Right. I need to interview Billy Porter one day and be like, so what is it that you can't do? Because I need, I need to know these right. things. Like, <laughs> there, there is something you can't do. Because you can do everything, then you're super dangerous. Right. Right. And the smart. Mm-hmm. Smart is... Poised has presence, yes. So Billy yes. Porter won the Oscar or the Emmy for Pose. And then didn't um, I know the young man from When They See Us won? Yes, an Jer- Emmy as well. Jarrell Jerome. He won an Emmy as well, yes. and then um, I wish I can tell you off the top of my head, but are we are we highlighting any more people of color and their and their amazing achievements um would it be sad to say that might be it um no it wouldn't it really wouldn't yeah as far as like top award winners it looks like that's kind of the list wow that's a short list well you know progress is progress i guess I mean, more power to Bill Hader, I guess, but, (laughs) um, yeah, no, as far as, like, the top, the front page awards, you know, Billy Porter, Gerald Jerome, yeah. All right, so here's what you guys can do. I mean, you all can do, still working on it. (laughs) Um, if you watch the Emmys, or you feel like we omitted somebody's award, go into the comments section, and just drop their name. And the award they won. And then a couple of weeks, when we come back, we'll mention them. Mm-hmm. Just so that everybody gets the recognition that they deserve. Mm-hmm. But this leads us into today's topic. Um, as mentioned last week, vulnerability mm-hmm. is an important and incredibly uncomfortable, be- uncomfortable thing to interact with, to engage intellectually with mm-hmm. and just simply acknowledge mm-hmm. as a person so we're going to recap um the assignment from the first podcast and then we're going to start examining vulnerability through a series of questions and our own experiences so the assignment from a couple of weeks ago was to look at the situations that you, that you were involved in in your life and asked, what is it that you're doing? And to be honest, introspection and self-awareness are two things that I influence and struggle with, depending <laughs> on my mood. 
Because I'm like most people, you know, it's really easy to blame something or someone else for the things going wrong in your life. But in taking this assignment seriously, it was also acknowledging that I do play a role in the draining of my energy or, you know, the loss of some of the time that I needed to get things done or the current state of some of the relationships that I engage in. So what I learned from it is that it is okay to establish certain boundaries or even finitely stand up for myself. Not, you know, come at somebody like in a, in a sense of conflict, but it is to say, hey, I'm at capacity. And as much as I would love to be able to help you right now, I do not have that energy. Mm-hmm. And if I give you the last of the energy that I have, I won't have that energy to do what I need to do for myself. Mm -hmm. So when I think about this assignment, one of the things that I think about is um, I went in a slightly different direction. Um, So doing the work of um, being critical around gender issues and particularly how patriarchy plays out in our society. Uh, one of the reasons why I feel very passionate about wanting to engage in this stuff is because um, my own past, my own history, my own story. Um, when I was in high school, when I was in college, um, I really uh, bought into a lot of the, the myths, right? The patriarchal stories. Um, I had a very kind of stereotypical kind of time in high school and college for my identities, which is um, Asian, straight, um, uh, upper middle class, um, uh, male. Um, I know a lot of my friends, a lot of my peers kind of have similar stories if they grew up um, at the time that I grew up. In the same circumstances, um, there's kind of a a lot of uh, shared or commonalities, um, shared stories or shared narratives around being Asian and male and um, middle class or upper middle class. Um, and a lot of that was um, me buying into stuff like nice guy myths, me buying into stuff like friend zones, me buying into like these kind of conceptions. Um in order to put the responsibility and the blame of um, relationships on someone else, right? So one of the things that a, a nice guy myth or a friend zone narrative does is it allows, you know, me to play the victim. And it puts the onus or the responsibility of a situation on the other person. Right. And by blaming the other person for what's going on, it causes um, uh, me to be able to walk away from a situation feeling like I didn't do anything wrong. Right. Um, And it doesn't allow for vulnerability. It doesn't allow for self-reflection. It doesn't allow for, you know, the, the assignment of last week, which also had an element of accountability right and ownership um instead you know 
you get to play the I'm just a nice guy, the world's out to get me, yada, yada, yada. Which, that narrative has gotten worse in the intervening years, right? It's, it's uh, more prevalent now. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I don't get it. And I'm not, I'm not mocking anybody who utilizes narrative at all. I'm, I'm snickering because as Chris explains his experience with it, I remember my own. So I'm in essence laughing at myself right. because when you start to look at patriarchy and you start to remember some of the dumb shits yeah. that, you know, you experience because of it, you're like, wow. Yeah. I really felt like I was having some form of power threatened by somebody not giving me some form of attention. Right. And it's like, I then became, you know, ignorant to the attention I was receiving for the genuine things that I was doing. Right. Instead of instead of accepting that the attention that I did get was because I was being a good person in those moments, what I was saying was I'm not getting the requisite attention for being good in my person, right? I need even more attention. Um and, and it's just, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, somebody who's, like, like uh, I don't know, like, like uh, somebody who's, like, leaking, like, liquids and, you know, leaking patriarchy and just, like, oh, I got my patriarchy on you. Uh, uh, I know that clinicians would call it a vulnerable narcissist mm. because they're not a narcissist in the traditional sense where, you know, they're, they're wholly consumed with themselves. Mm. They're consumed with themselves, but the moment that they're made aware of it, you know, they tend to try to flee and shy away and, Mm -hmm. you know, play the victim in the process. Mm -hmm. Well, and then it also engenders a couple other pieces of patriarchal myths or patriarchal constructions, right? It also... Um, allows you to buy into stuff like, you know, being guardian angel, or it allows you to buy into stuff like being a, a provider, right? It allows you to buy into stuff like, um, you know, being uh, uh, these kind of, like, sh- like knight in shining armor, right? Um, um, structures within patriarchal systems. Um, and then and then it becomes really cyclical. C- cyc- cyclic. Circular. Circular. Yeah. Yeah. Cyclical and circular. I was trying to combine those words. I don't know why. Um, it becomes very circular, right? <laughs> um, and I think, like, for me... I like that sometimes. Right. Um, for me, I didn't have a moment where I really was critical about that until much later in my life. And I think it was, like, after graduating from undergrad. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I wish I could tell you what the process was for me to, like, realize what I did was, like, kind of messed up. Um, I don't remember what the process was. Um, it might it might have been. It was probably slow. Probably involved listening to folks, taking people's words, understanding where uh, folks are coming from. But now, at, at this point in my life, many years later, I look back on that time and think, "Wow, like that was really messed up. Like a lot of the 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 attitudes I had, a lot of what I did." A lot of like my expectations, right? Even if I didn't do something, I would have these expectations, and people. You know, like, we're not good at hiding our expectations, right? Like, you might think you're good at lying to people. <laughs> people know, right? Like, you know, so even if I didn't do anything, by having these expectations and holding people to these expectations, 
it still impacted the relationship I had with them, right? Um, and so now at this point in my life, looking back, I'm like, oh, I gotta do, I gotta do this work, you know? Like, I gotta help folks, like, understood, understand why, like, these structures exist, you know? And, like, you know, I gotta help myself, too. That's the way I learned, too. I gotta help myself understand why these structures exist and, and you know... So, so for me, you know, is whatever path happened that led to that moment um, allowed for that vulnerability, right? Allowed for that self-reflection. I think that's kind of the, the beauty in it. Because mm-hmm. anytime we try to have conversations like this with, and I, I'll be honest here, Oftentimes, I tend to neglect the fact that people do have to go on a journey to arrive at this point. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I just want that to be like instantaneous because, personally, I'm tired of always trying to pick up or clean up the messes that somebody made by being, you know, unknowledgeable of the damage that they're doing mm-hmm. unconsciously. And in my mind, I'm always going, all right, look here read this and you'll change over it's, it's, it's not an overnight change we're not expecting you to you know digest something and wake up the next day and be like oh shit i'm a changed man no that's that's not that's not it um but in essence that's kind of what vulnerability looks like mm-hmm. it's you know being willing to try and understand that it's not going to come right away. Mm-hmm. So going back to last week, the definition that we use to define vulnerability is risk, ex- and risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, to men, that was like that, that, that moment where you get caught doing something and somebody's trying to explain to you why it's wrong mm-hmm. and you lean into why it's wrong instead of trying to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's saying that somebody said that they offended, you offended them. Mm-hmm. And then instead of going, well, I have the right to, it's okay. You said that I offended you. How about I let you explain it to me and then I'll sit and marinate on it and I'll have a conversation with somebody else and try to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, how I can make a situation like that better. Mm-hmm. The, the you offended me comment, um, what it really, what, what I hear when somebody says it to me, what I try to make sure I hear and I don't always succeed, but when I, when, in my best, better days. What I like to think that I, what I hear is somebody saying, you hurt me, I don't want you to hurt me, and I'm going to take the time to tell you that you hurt me, right? And if that's what I'm hearing, then why wouldn't my reaction be, oh, shit, I don't want to hurt you. Let me fix this, right? Instead of, but I have a right to hurt you. <laughs> right like that just sounds absurd right like mm. you hurt me well i have a right to hurt you it's like that, that that seems like such an absurd back and forth and yet that's what it sounds like when 
somebody says you offended me, and the response that you get is, well, I have a right to say what I said. Um, and to be honest, like, when I think about vulnerability from a privileged perspective, part of it is understanding that there are multiple perspectives in the world, and there are multiple points of views, and that what you may have assumed was true or right might not be true or right anymore, right? And that's really all it is. Vulnerability is just that moment where you say, I might not be right, let me sit with that, right? Like, somebody's going to tell you, like, I know that, I know, I know, that you might have thought the sky was blue your whole goddamn life. But I'm going to tell you from where I'm standing, it's not blue, right? And for you to be like, oh, shit, maybe it's not, right? Like, that's vulnerability, right? Um, yes, vulnerability does coincide with the willingness to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what we're building into or as we will continue to restate as we record these, the thesis that we're working with is men have to be willing to be human. And what does being human mean? It means that acknowledging that you are in a constant state of vulnerability. Even when we use like a, a more contextual definition, because I know um, uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure are not concrete ideas. Think about it like this. Mm-hmm. As a human being, you are constantly exposed to danger. Mm-hmm. Like, human beings are fragile as shit. Mm-hmm. Wait. Time out. Because I'm going to go pretty deep with this. And you are prone to existential crises. And you have seen a therapist or a counselor or you know any techniques... To calm yourself down, I recommend starting now. You know any grounding practices. Figure out how to root yourself in the present. And if it's too much, just go ahead and fast forward. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hear this part. I don't want to induce anything that may make you panic or feel like you're unsafe mm-hmm. or anything like that. That's my version of disclaimer. So... Yes, human beings are fragile. They're constantly being exposed to things that could harm, you know, place them in danger or even kill them. Mm-hmm. Like our our heart, our lungs, our brain, everything is constantly exposed. Somebody hits you too hard and you're not prepared for it, the shock of that can kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, there being pollution in the air, you have to breathe in some sort of poison, that can kill you. Mm-hmm. The food that you're eating being, you know, laced with hormones and mm-hmm. pesticides and everything else, that can kill you. We really Humans. suck at being alive. Yes. Yeah. Humans are constantly in a state of being vulnerable. But the only place a human is not vulnerable is literally inside their mind. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it's like it doesn't translate the, oh, shit, I live in this gigantic arena full of any and everything that could harm me. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I want to build this this wall, this box, this this structure to be safe. And for men, women, and non-binary folks, these structures look completely different because within those structures, layers of privilege, access to information and resources, 
lived experiences, insider knowledge, and so forth look differently. Mm -hmm. So as a man, you have the privilege to walk around this world with these imaginary, you know, Duracell batteries attached to you at all times. Mm -hmm. So your light can never dim. Mm -hmm. However, in the other two boxes, they might not have, you know, perpetual batteries. Mm -hmm. They might just have batteries for a short period of time. So when they go into the dark, they're even more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is making sense, but essentially saying that because you're constantly vulnerable and there are multiple perspectives in the world, being vulnerable is being willing to take down all the walls mm -hmm. and be receptive to the information to the experiences whether they made sense to you or not because you can in fact you know take in a bunch of information and then discern for yourself what you find important mm -hmm. now discernment is a gift because at least within my little community of black folks we talk about get out all the time and the main character daniel I can never pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try. That dude did not have discernment at all. Okay, mm -hmm. he saw the signs. Mm -hmm. He just kept going. Mm -hmm. See, when you see at one the point, signs, at one point, literally told his face, "Get out." Yes, he did not. Yes, when you see the signs, do not ignore them. Mm -hmm. Do not say that I will be the exception because odds are you are not. The exception. Mm. Well, and I want to say, in, in your construction of this idea of our, our kind of mental safety boxes, one of the reasons why it looks, it, 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 it's different, one of the reasons why people's boxes are different is because our sources of danger are different, right? So what you might perceive as being dangerous, I might not perceive as being dangerous, right? And because you and I will interpret the same thing, the same external stimuli differently, then of course our boxes are going to look different. And for for cis men, particularly cis white men, um, you know, that box is going to look very, very different than their female, non-binary, people of color counterparts. Um... And I mean, you know, if if you're if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around that, then think that you might actually be a point of danger for someone else. Someone else might think of you as a point of danger, and so, you know, like I don't know. I think I think for the world we live in, it's important to understand that because people will read the same things externally, differently, internally. Um, that's what changes our perspective, right? Nobody's trying to claim that the world actually looks different, right? But because we have to see the world differently, that's what changes in the world for us. And that's how we develop the sense of multiple truths and multiple stories and more, multiple identities. And at the heart of everything, understanding and accepting that there are multiple truths is this work. Right? People with privilege get to determine the truth. People who are oppressed have to have to have their truths questioned. Right, and if you want to 
move past your privilege. Step one is accepting that there are multiple truths in the world. It's understanding that you are not the end-all, be-all. And I think the best way to, to, to bundle that into a question is uh, the first question I ever asked Chris when we first met. Mm-hmm. I asked Chris, you know, does doing the right thing ever get easier? Mm-hmm. And if your answer to that question at any point in time becomes yes, then you might want to examine, are you really doing the right thing? Because mm-hmm. doing the right thing doesn't get easier. Mm-hmm. Questioning your privilege, questioning your power, being vulnerable enough to have your power in any capacity, you know, taken away or or strengthened is in and of itself a terrifying experience. Mm-hmm. Because now you're using this power to do what you feel is the right thing. But the right thing always has this ability to backfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I do want to add to that. We aren't encouraging folks to put themselves in danger. Oh, no. Oh, right. Please don't. Please don't. If, if you know, you're, you're at a point where you say to yourself, I don't want to face any more danger. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, God bless you. Right? Like, um... And, you know, if you're coming from it from a privileged perspective, you have to do so with the understanding, the critical understanding that there are going to be almost everybody else, right? Like, all the other identities that are not privileged have a much more acute and present sense of danger than you right um and again that's not to say that you're wrong for saying i don't want to be in any more danger but you do have to do so with the understanding that the world it does not look the same for other people pay you agony off for that no seriously like do not put yourself (laughs) in (laughs) harm's way whether that's bodily harm you know inflicting or re-inflicting mental trauma or anything like that now i will add to that though if you would like to begin to untethering yourself to some of your mental trauma you can do so through going to see a counselor and there are other there are practices that they will teach you that allows you to accept and then change the stories surrounding that trauma which is one of the, one of the most vulnerable practices, really, that there is. Mm-hmm. Like they tell you all the time that you know incidents still impact you because you you remember them just as they are. Mm-hmm. But there are practices that um, clinicians use that help you change them mentally like it's not going to change that it happened Mm -hmm. but at least when you start to think about it you can change the image you think about let's let's, hypothetically speaking and this shouldn't take us too far off course but hypothetically speaking you know let's just say i got bit by a dog when i was younger Mm -hmm. and so now every time i see a dog that memory flashes into my head you know i get bit Mm -hmm. but if I'm properly taught to walk through the experience. 
I can change the way I see that dog in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I can turn that dog into a clown dog. Mm-hmm. So while when I change the pain and flip it by the bite, at least you know I can look at it and kind of laugh now. Like uh, it's a clown dog. The clown dog is trying to bite me mm-hmm. again. You know what I mean? And it's it, a coping mechanism. It, and it won't, you know. It won't be able to have that same power and hold that it would have gripped my life with. Mm-hmm. So I decided to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But half the battle of being vulnerable is deciding to deal with things. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to try. Like, um, I use this example with my friends all the time. But um, if any of you have seen uh, Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. or even Infinity Wars, mm-hmm. you realize that Thanos goes through this excruciating process where he has to make sacrifices, among other things, to collect all the Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets them, he has to snap his fingers and he's going to rid the universe of half of all life. Mm-hmm. And so I always ask my friends, I'm, we go, so... There were, you know, an abundance of different choices that could have been made during that decision, right? Keeping in mind that he actually witnessed his planet's destruction because of overpopulation and things like that. If he was vulnerable enough to re-examine that situation, would he have pursued the amount of power that he needed to try and do what, in his opinion, in a privileged situation, would be what he thought was best for everyone. Mm-hmm. That example can be adopted into any situation where you look at somebody in a position of power and privilege making a decision for everyone else because they feel like that's what they all need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One hundred percent. I think. Um, I think. <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't feel so good. It's um, too soon. I'm sorry. Too but... soon. Too soon. Um, I mean, it's been a year, but uh, <laughs> year and a half. Actually. Um, but anyway, um, actually, I, I want I want to pause on that conversation though because I do want to do one of these episodes about superheroes because everything you just said about Thanos can also be said about Batman. And Superman, and, and Superman, yeah, that's right. And and there is a there is a toxic masculinity element to superheroes. Not to say that the superheroes are bad. Right? I love superheroes. I'm, I mean, we're sitting in my office right now where I have an Infinity Gauntlet and I have pop figures and and all sorts of good stuff. Um, and you, can, I mean, you can love something, be a fan of something, and also be critical of it. And part of being critical about superheroes and pop culture is understanding that there is a toxic masculine undercurrent in some of the stories, right, in some of the narratives. So that that is a conversation that we will have in one of these podcast episodes. It'll probably be in November, so look out for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, being vulnerable is... It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a super simple... Yet complex topics simultaneously mm-hmm. because it looks different for mm-hmm. everybody, which is why we can't give you a a concrete image for what it looks like for 
all men because as he said earlier Chris is an Asian American man mm-hmm. I'm an African American man mm-hmm. so for me being vulnerable means that oh I have to add I'm also a dark skinned African American man because there are there are layers to mm-hmm. that as well we'll have that conversation when I get the black milk collectors together so that well sim- similarly we have to make the coffee I'm an East Asian man right so I'm Chinese not Southeast Asian which will have a different set of entanglements right mm-hmm so, region, skin color, mm-hmm. that impacts our existences mm-hmm. in so many different ways that threats to the both of us look different. Mm-hmm. Very different. You know, be, me being dark skin, I can walk out. People, I'm grateful that people are aware of my presence and know what I'm capable of here. Mm-hmm. So, I'm safe here. Mm-hmm. But when I walk out onto that street, I become a threat. Mm-hmm. And that is when I am the most vulnerable. Yeah. In the same sense that when Chris enters into certain rooms, yeah. you know, he, he enters under certain expectations until somebody, you know, mm-hmm. actually has a conversation with him or right. they understand what he's capable of. Well, on the flip side of Aaron's example, I'm not seen as a physical threat. Even though I outweigh Aaron, I think, well, I think Aaron might be a little taller than me, but... We're close. Um, and yeah, I'm not a physical threat in the same way that Aaron's body reads as a physical threat. Right? So, so in that sense, what is going to be, um, what might be considered harmful in, what Aaron needs to be aware of that might be harm to his body are not going to be the same things that I have to be aware of that might be harm to my body. Because folks are going to react to me very differently than they react to him. So information is harmful. Interpretations are harmful. Rhetoric. Rhetoric is powerful. Mm-hmm. And you as a individual who studied literature mm-hmm. knows the implications that rhetoric can have, even in simple storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I would like for you all to think about the information that you possess. Where do you get it from? What articles have you read? Who have you met? What have you seen on TV? What have you digested multiple times that have formed a lot of the understandings you have about reality? Mm-hmm. Because if you would like to be vulnerable and start to do some of the work that we're talking about doing, then you, in fact, have to figure out where in yourself you would like to start. Mm-hmm. And it will not be easy. Right. But you have to be vulnerable enough to try. Right. Okay. So next time, it sounds like we're going to be talking about socialization. Woo! And yes, actually. Talking... I, I, I definitely am reaching out to one of the professors in the African American Studies Department. Good. Um, she already agreed to be on the podcast. I just have to make sure that... Yeah, I, I said Yo, we might have a guest. We might have a guest next this I, I said it's a way in advance. So I just have to um, send them a doodle calendar yeah. invite to make sure they're aware. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking about socialization. Yeah. Um, our guest next week is actually a phenomenal scholar. Well, not next week. Next session is a phenomenal scholar. And I'm actually really excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. It should be a good discussion. Um so, in the meantime, we're wrapping this up. So, thank you, Aaron, for um, presenting the topic of vulnerability. I think uh, 
it's something that doesn't get talked enough about when we talk about masculinity or masculine constructions. So thank you so much. I feel uh, like it's it's omitted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you talk about uh, constructing the perfect man and nowadays that definition has has changed. I've had mm-hmm. conversations with people where they're like, I need my 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 I need my partner to be vulnerable because he can't be vulnerable, then we're not gonna get anywhere. Right. But you know prior to that People had associated vulnerable vulnerability with weakness for so long. Right. I mean, I mean, there was a narrative not that long ago that was, "What's the perfect man? The strong, silent, dark, dark stranger, right? Like strong, silent man of mystery, right? And in that construction, there's no vulnerability. It's not allowed to exist, right? So vulnerability needs to be allowed to exist. Yeah. And I think on that note. I would encourage you all to try this on. I want you to find a friend. This can be your best friend. It can be, you know, your partner, or just the, the confidant that you have. That includes your therapist, because, you know, if you're, paying, if you're holding somebody captive, <laughs> paying for their time, mm-hmm. then the least you can do is try to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. But I want you to tell them a story it doesn't have to be anything traumatic but I want you to tell them a story that you don't often get to tell and I want you to write down how you felt afterwards so that can be the story of your first dog mm-hmm. and you buying your first pair of shoes mm-hmm. you know, I want you to try and be just a little vulnerable with someone who makes you feel safe mm-hmm. And see if it's something that you want to make a recurring habit out of. Because vulnerability, once, you know, mastered and utilized, can start to help you change your life. Yeah. And so can being honest. But that's an assignment for a different day. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Chris. This has been the Men Men Creating Change podcast, and we'll see you all in two weeks. Yep.